All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to finish, well, actually, we're in Matthew 25. We're going to finish this section in Matthew this morning. I want you to remember why we're here. We've been sitting in the Olivet Discourse, as it's known for, I don't know, a handful of weeks. And this is why we're here, is it just as we sit in our current cultural climate, often, you know, I'm going to get the questions, you're going to ask the questions, you're going to have the conversations about the signs of the times, what's going on in this world, and what does Jesus have to say about that, and what does this have to do with our belief that he is coming soon and at any time. So we're turning our attention here. We're paused, we paused our study in the book of Acts we're in Acts chapter 18 next week. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians as part of our study in Acts. So read ahead into 2 Corinthians. But before we finish this morning, I want to remind you of the context of what Jesus is speaking about when he's talking about his, uh, his return, what he's telling us um, about himself and about our relationship with him, what he wants us to do. And in, before we even started his speech and his discourses, he's communicating to his disciples. I began all the way back, I think we began in chapter, oh, back in chapter 20, before we even started studying his words in chapter 24, because again, all of this flows into a context, and the context about who he is, about who he is as the one the son that was sent from the father for this purpose. And he describes it in Matthew 20, verses 17. Jesus, he's going to the Jerusalem. He takes the 12 disciples aside. He says, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. The son of man's going to be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify. And the third day, he will rise again. He's communicating this to his disciples, the one that, is, that he prayed about, the ones that the Father appointed, the ones that he called into a relationship with them, the ones that it's that their testimony that we sit in in regards to our faith about who Jesus is as the Messiah today. And as he is communicating these things to his boys, as they are in Jerusalem, they're interacting with the, the religious elite of the day. And this in Matthew 23 is Jesus is just grabbing the heart of the religious. And as he grabs those hearts, he's not there to condemn them. But he's attempting, as he grabs the heart, the hearts of the religious, he's attempting to wake them up. And again, this is the, when I first became a believer, um, religion was a bad word. Because it's something that in my mind and definition, it's something that is human made. It's, it's outside the context of a true faith in Jesus Christ. It's man's commandments, it's man's system, and all that man's stuff takes us away from the Lord. And the heart that he's grabbing onto as he talks to the Pharisees, he's saying, I've, I've revealed myself to you through creation, through the word, through your life, through your context. I have desired to gather you to myself. But he says that their heart, the heart that he is trying to expose their sin, where their faith is, where their hope is, where their righteousness is, he's talking to that heart and says, your heart wasn't willing. 
I as your creator. My whole goal as God is to gather you to myself. I've given you life. I've provided your salvation. I've given you everything that you need to have a relationship with me. But your heart wasn't willing. And as he is dealing with those hearts, his disciples are listening to that conversation. And you know, they're, they're processing through their own hearts and their own lives and their own context. And Jesus, you know, as Jesus is sticking it to their religious leaders, they're looking at their, their religious structure. This is the place that the great I am chose to cause his name to dwell. And their one that they believe is the Messiah just said that all that represents this and where God dwells in the midst of his people, it's going to be destroyed. It draws out of them questions. And again, as we sit in the context of Jesus' answer to their question, I'm a, I'm a, I want more information, I want more details. But again, Jesus always speaks in a way that's going to speak to the broad group. And the broad group, even the 12 disciples, as they're with him privately, they are a mixed group of people. They have very, even though they're all Jews, they still have very diverse understandings of their context. You have Matthew, who's a tax collector, pretty much in bed with the Romans before Jesus calls him. You have Simon, Simon the Zealot, that's the exact opposite, where he wants to kill the Romans. Again, you have this mixed bag of people. And remember, Judas is sitting there listening to these words. And as Judas is listening to these words, he doesn't even want Jesus's religion. There's something off in his heart in regards to how he's interpreting the words of all of our Savior. So when Jesus sits in these words, again, we, we've sat in the thickness of the information that he's communicating, but as we look at the signs of our times, we can look at all these general signs and we can watch prophecy, the, pre, the predictions that God has given to us about the future, about what the future looks like prior, immediately prior to his return, we can watch all of these things starting to snowball that causes us to believe that, Jesus, you were coming quickly. And he tells the Jews to watch for a particular sign, this sign that is an abomination of desolation, this, this thing that is offensive to God. And we're told in 2 Thessalonians, ultimately, you have this man that we know as the Antichrist that is essentially going to be indwelt by Satan in the holy place, declaring himself to be God shaking his finger at God and saying, I am God. Again, this is the heart of, of rebellion, the heart of Satan against God is what this being is going to represent. And at that time when you see that sign run, why? Because the sign is coming. Jesus is going to come in the clouds. And then what are we supposed to do with that information? So Jesus tells us first, he wants us to learn to truly be his disciple. Pay attention to your life in him. Pay attention to what he's teaching you today. Pay attention. Be, be a constant learner. Lord, what are you showing me about you? What are you showing me about myself? What are you showing me about my spouse, my kids, my church, my work, my environment, so that I can be faithful to you, Lord? Not so that I can be self-righteous and do my own thing, but Lord, help me to be a learner. And in this, he wants us to know that the day and the hour... Know for certain that he is coming. Know for certain that God will fulfill 
every jot and every tittle of his word, which he is the personified word. You cannot separate Jesus. You cannot separate God from his spoken word. His word is alive. His word is alive because he is the source of it. Learn from me. Be certain that I exist. Be certain that I am. Be certain that I'm involved in your life. Be certain of everything that I have communicated that you can trust me. Now, as you learn, know that the specific day and the hour, nobody knows. But life, humanity, everybody's going to keep on living their life as normal. But you, believer, you should not be caught off guard in regards to his coming. He is going to come like a thief in the night. Those who are ignorant, those who just don't care, who aren't paying attention, who aren't learning, they're going to be caught as a thief coming in the night. But he's telling us that he wants us to be watchful, to constantly be engaged in our life that he has given to us. Not just nonchalant, not paying attention, not doing our own thing, but constantly, Lord, show me yourself today. Show us, open up the heavens and show us your glory. How does God fulfill that prayer every single day? That's what he wants us to pay attention to, to be ready. And this idea of readiness, God has created each one of us according to his plans and his purposes. And he wants you to be engaged in that relationship and submitted to him as you follow that out. And then he's given us different examples of our expectations. When you, has God failed any of your expectations in regards to him? Those are, those are painful circumstances when you feel like God's failed. Or the exact opposite, when God does fulfill your expectations, what does it do to you? You're elated. God did exactly what he said he was going to do, when he said he was going to do it. We love it. But we have to be cautious with those expectations. And in regards to the expectations, he's dealing with each one of our hearts that in the time between now and when Jesus returns, what does he want us to be doing in our relationship with him? And this is really where he drills down and, and again, he's, he's dealing with our hearts. He's trying to remove all self-righteousness, all religion, all of our human expectations. And he continually brings us back to himself. He brings us back to his word. And he describes for us what this relationship that we have with him looks like. So picking up his final words in chapter 25, verse 14. Yeah, and the kingdom of heaven is like, he's given us a parable, like a man traveling to a far country. What does he do? He calls his own servants and he delivers his goods to them. He hands over to them his goods. Notice that, his, not yours. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And Lord, literally, this is the, the power, what your... Uh, it's, it's your ability that you have to do something is what that word is. And immediately he goes on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded. He went and worked with them literally and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You know that there is coming a day 
where you're going to sit down individually with the Lord and settle accounts with him. That's a position that causes both great joy and fear all at the same time. Verse 20, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, a difficult man, a harsh man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is Jesus communicating to his boys? He's communicating encouragement, and he's also communicating warning. And again, this is, this is, a, this is a scenario, again, in their culture and their contact and context, this is something, a scenario that's familiar with them. So let's bring this into our context. Three of us get hired by an employer. This employer sets us up in, in an office space together. Each one of us has our own office. To one, the senior associate, he's been given the greatest amount of responsibility because he has the ability for that responsibility. Demonstrated career path to be able to handle what's been handed to him. The junior associate's been given the same kind of authority, but just a little bit less. And then, the, you know, maybe the entry-level associate has been given a lesser amount. Again, to demonstrate faithfulness, and again, this parable is we, as you demonstrate faithfulness in your life, in a job, what happens? Raises happen, promotions happen. People see that you're able to do the work, and they'll give you more work to do. So it's a common scenario that we can all sit in, Right? So the picture that he is painting, though, is in that office space that three of us have been given, two of us are taking advantage of the office space, and another one's not. So in that, you've been set up with a desk, you've been set up with a computer, you've been given all the materials that you need to go and do the work for your employer. The guy that's defined as the wicked, the evil, the idle, the lazy servant is the one who goes locks the office door, and never shows up at the office. He's still getting his paycheck. 
He's still reaping all the benefits of the relationship that he has as an employee of this employer. He's getting his health benefits. He's getting his paycheck. He's receiving all of these benefits. But in regards to what the employer has handed to him for him to perform his job, what is he doing? It's all safe behind the locked door. So that at the coming, at the settling of accounts, when the employer shows up, after he's delegated these duties and he's delegated the authority to these different employees, now it's time to have a conversation of what's gone on. So we can all sit in this picture, right? And we can all understand, what are you going to do with the lazy employee? What are you going to do? Fire him. You're going to cast him away. So in this, you know, that's the, that's the overall parable that he's given to help us understand the kingdom of heaven to help us understand what are we supposed to be doing right now in our relationship with God, who he's created us to be, what he has given to us in acts of his grace. Every single one of us is different. We're all in the same room together. We're gathering here. We're fellowshipping. We're all worshiping the same God together, but every single one of us is different. You have your life context. I have my life context. And this is... Depending on where you are in the spectrum of your relationship with the Lord, as we discuss these things, um, it's very easy to press into like a legalistic relationship. Well, I'm doing A, B, C, so therefore I must be a faithful servant. And this is, again, in, in everything with the Lord, he is looking at relationship. And in that relationship, there's, there's an obedience to him, there's a submission to him, there's a seeking of him every single day. But there's this recognition Everything that he has given to us, it's on loan. Even these bodies, these bodies are just on loan. They're all breaking down. We're going to get a new body, a permanent body, a glorious body made in his image on that glorious day. Amen? Major thought here. In our life, we have zero ownership. And this is where religion really damages people when human beings seize on to ownership. The Lord has given this to me, therefore it is mine. It's mine to rule. It's mine to run. This is my kingdom. This is my way. And even if you don't start out with that heart, and even if you don't think that that's your heart, very easy, it's, it's in all things in life. Whatever's been placed into our hands, we want to squeeze it as mine. Because this is what we do as human beings. Whether it's your spouse, your children, your home, your job, your possessions, your mini, whatever it looks like, what do you want to do? This is mine. Here's my career. Here's my success. Here's my family. And again, in, in everything, the Lord is leading us to open-handed stewardship. What was given to these individuals, the word talent, it's, 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 it's literally a weight of measurement. So it could be a talent of gold. It could be a talent of silver. It could be a talent of copper. So the value can fluctuate. But the idea is the Lord has given to you a weight. He's given to you something. But each one of these servants, is that now theirs? It's not theirs. Not one of them is better than the other. In fact, this is, this is a, one quote out of a commentary I read. This is Adam Clark. It says, the talent, that which... The Lord is given the talent which each one has suits his own best state. 
So all that the Lord has given to you today, it suits your own best state in him. And it is only pride and insanity which leads us to desire and envy the graces and talents of another. And there's so much truth in that. Five talents would be too much for some. And one talent would be too little for another. So in, in what the Lord has given to us, and again, as he is describing to his disciples, his followers, to you and I, what we are to be doing in our life today, there's, there's a position of responsibility that we have to him. And in that responsibility, Jesus is telling us from Genesis to Revelation, I have created you to work. I have created you to do exactly what I've created you to do. And this is all in the picture of being watchful, being ready. The imagery that he is communicating is what he has given to us. He's given to us as stewards, and we are responsible to um, be obedient to his direction in all areas of our life. Now, we all fail in this. We all trip up. We all stumble. And the Lord is always there to capture our hearts, to redirect us, to cleanse us, to watch us, to keep us on the narrow path as we follow him. But I know the reality in the 20 years that I've been following the Lord, I'll find myself drifting from the responsibilities that he's given to me. I'll start applying responsibilities to myself that the Lord never gave to me to own. He never gave to me those responsibilities to steward. I'm really, I self-condemn really easy. So I could have all my nine responsibilities all lined up and I'm all solid with the Lord. But here's this one thing that he's given me to do and I'm failing in this. And I just turn into a miserable wretch because I'm seeing the one thing that's left undone. And again, the Lord is not there putting us under the microscope waiting for us to fail and everything all of this he's trying to encourage us to draw near to him he doesn't want to cast away a single servant a single steward we're told that he doesn't take the pleasure in the death of the wicked he has done everything to save each one of us he has done everything given us everything that we need to be this good and faithful steward with whatever our life context looks like. And these are, these are the things that he is drawing out of us. Um, turn quickly, hold your place there, but turn quickly to 1 Corinthians 15. I think that this is important um, in exposing that ungrateful, lazy, idle heart that can creep its way into all of our lives in different ways. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, now again, jumping into a specific context, but we're going to pull this out uh, to expose this idle heart. It says, I am, this is Paul, I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But... By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. His grace towards me, it's not empty. But I labored more abundantly than they, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God 
which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So look at Paul's heart as, you know, we look at him as the five-telling guy. Paul, well done. Paul was a good, faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And in his own heart, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not worthy to be a steward of God. Why? Because I've persecuted the church of God. I've, I've rebelled against Jesus. I have brought shame to the name of Jesus. I have considered the blood of Jesus as something small in my life, as I believe in him but go down my own path and my own way. Remember that the heart of the religious that he is attempting to gather to himself but that they, they weren't willing. These are the hearts that he is trying to confront in every single one of us. By the grace of God, you and I are what we are. Whether male or female, whether rich or poor, regardless of what nation you come from, regardless of what your abilities are, regardless of how much money you have, by the grace of God, you are what you are. And his grace towards you and his grace towards me, it's not supposed to be empty. That evil, lazy, idle, wicked, unrighteous, rebellious steward still believes in the Lord, yet God's grace towards that individual produces nothing, not because God is not able, but because that steward heart is not willing. Again, the, the willingness is not the willingness to do what you want to do in your life. The willingness is the willingness to bend the knee to whatever context you find yourself in. Go back to Matthew 25. Again, as he's, as he's settling accounts with these servants, Jesus believes in hell. Now, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a, like a hellfire brimstone religious context. In fact, I can confidently say I've never heard one of those stereotypical hellfire and brimstone messages that people talk about. I've never been addressed that way from the pulpit. I've never been addressed that way from another believer. I've always been encouraged to pursue the Lord regardless of where I find myself. If I am in the, the pit with the prodigal eaten slop, I have always been encouraged to return to the Lord because he is faithful and just to wash us and cleanse us. But there's, again, like the hellfire and brimstone messages, there, there's a warning associated with that kind of message. And what is the warning? Again, he is attempting to wake up the heart that is fine with their own thing, to wake up the heart to say, look at everything that the Lord has given me, and it's all for me, or Everything that he has given me, everything that he's directing me to do, you know what? I'm just going to put it under lock and key. And when he comes back, it's, there's your computer. There's your desk that you gave me. You have what's yours. What more do you want from me? You got me. I mean, it's kind of like that heart. Not kind of. I mean, that's the heart that he is addressing. And then the warning, again, that we all have to sit in. And this isn't to sit under condemnation. But I think as often as we sit in the word of God, we are to be in continual remembrance of who Jesus is. 
As we gather in this place this morning, we begin with worship because we want to sing to God. We want to come to him with praise, with thanksgiving, with adoration, with love, with confession. We want our hearts to be in the right place before we even turn to his word and say, Lord, what do you have to say? We're going to remember who you are. We're going to declare who you are. We're going to rejoice in all that you are. Now, Lord, speak to us. But as he speaks to us, again, this is the challenge. How many, how many of you have heard the gospel more than a thousand times in your life? We hear the same message as often as we draw near to him. And the religious heart says, I've heard it all. I've got it all figured out. My theology's in order. My doctrine's in order. My life is in order. Lord, leave me alone and let me do my own thing and rule over my own little kingdom. The heart that's not willing to be gathered to him. And the, the thing that ought to stop all of our hearts, because we all gravitate towards that, we have to be honest. The thing that needs to stop us in our tracks, Jesus is always encouraging us to return to him. But the heart that refuses to return to him is what? That examination of that life will be deemed as unworthy to abide in his presence for all eternity. Simply because unbelief, no faith. That one, what he, even what he has is going to be taken away. It's going to be given to others, not for their own possession, but in stewardship, even for all eternity as we are joint heirs with Christ. That individual, literally, this is a command to cast that unprofitable, unfruitful, unrighteous, evil, wicked back, you know, use all these synonyms into the outer darkness. Jesus believes in hell. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, he's not standing there thumping anybody's chest. You have to see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. I desire to gather you to myself, child. Continuing on in verse 31, we get the focus of the reality of the end game, of the goal. When the Son of Man comes... In his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All of you, I want you to be familiar with Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is the declaration, this is the the revelation of what is has been, has always been, has been given to, and will be Jesus's for all eternity. He is coming in glory. All the nations, they're all his. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Again, the imagery that they'd be familiar with, just so you know, for farming, sheep need to be warm. Actually, sheep will uh, sleep out in the open because they're fine with all their wool. The goats need to be brought in on cool nights. There's a separation that shepherds will do each evening. That's the imagery that they're being given. He will set the sheep on his right-hand side. Biblically, the right hand is always that position of blessing, of power, and authority. The goat's on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Notice this word blessed. It's 
Uh, In the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, the word blessed means happy and fortunate. This This is the word where we get a eulogy from. When, we, when Jesus just says, you blessed of my father, God speaks well of these individuals. He speaks well of us as we come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the command, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And that's that word, the same thing that he tells us to be ready. God is ready for you, prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. Why? For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, he identifies himself with us, you did it to me. Then he says to those on the left-hand side, again, this separation, depart from me, you cursed. I bring this up all the time. God uses contrasts to teach us. When he says that we are blessed, we are well spoken of by the Father, that is one side. The other side, the contrast is you cursed. And again, being cursed is speech that is not well pleasing. It is a, it's it's language that is judging and condemning. Why? Again, faith or no faith in Jesus. You cursed into the everlasting fire Made ready, prepared for who? For the devil and his angels. The devil and his messengers. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Did not serve you. Then he will answer saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And here's the you know, big idea is Jesus is communicating about his coming to his disciples. I am coming. And on the day that I come, there is a separation. And we see this again, Genesis to Revelation. Every single human being, whether we're being picked off one by one as we die, or whether it's at the end, there is a separation. There's a distinction between those that the Lord blesses and those that the Lord curses. Again, we're told from Genesis to Revelation, who is defined as the righteous? The one who believes that God is exactly who God says that he is. Abraham's righteousness was granted to him, was given to him simply because what? Because he believed in the Lord and he believed in what the Lord said. 
Same thing in the New Testament, believing in who Jesus is, believing in what he said. And again, by example, it's not just saying, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. It's working these things out to true faith. We all have these, these introductory points with the Lord where, um, depending on where you are, how long you've been a Christian, you can look back in history and, and watch those initiation points as the Lord is revealing himself and gathering you to himself. I'm middle-aged, and I'm middle-aged in, in my life as a believer. And I can see all the different blessings, all the different ways that he's worked in me, all the different ways that he's transformed me, all the different ways where he has blessed me and spoken well of me and hedged me and provided for me. I can see all the different ways in history that I have been obedient to and faithful to the things that he's directed me to. At the same time, I can see all the, just the stupidity of trying to work things out in my own flesh, my own pride, my own rebellion. Again, in in all of this, he is trying to grab our hearts to give us the reality. There is a glorious day coming. And we hope it's soon. But before he comes, he wants us to be found faithful in who he's created us to be in our relationship with. And that only comes through being obedient with what he's directed us to do. So in all these different descriptions of being naked and poor, and uh, these are all... Uh, In Jewish ethics, every single one of these things was something that the community esteemed as moral and righteous behavior in regards to who the culture needs to be taken care of. And again, we can go to our broad culture as a whole, where we live, and every single person, I think without a doubt, would say that these are all things that human beings ought to do to one another and for one another. The distinction that Jesus draws out in regards to he's not bringing out a social gospel. He's not just telling us to do things to do things. It's as we engage in life, everything that we need to do, we need to do it as unto him. When we come in here and worship, we're not trying to be in tune together as a group. We're trying to provide in an environment and a climate where you get to come in here and pour out your faith to God. God, I love you. Here's why. God, I had a hard week. I'm here to be revived and rejuvenated. I'm here to remember who you are. I'm sick of staring at myself in the mirror, Lord. I don't need to see my own reflection. I need to see you. I need to see your holiness. I need to see your power. I need to see your faithfulness. I need to see what you've done. I need to hear from you, Lord. I need to be reminded. I need your confidence. I need your assurance. For those of you who don't know Henry in the back, I love you. Go ask Henry. How you doing, Henry? What does he say? Save fat and sassy. Puts a smile on all of our hearts. But I told him this morning, you know what I love about that? Every time he responds that way, he reminds me of how constant God is. God never changes. How you doing today? Say fat and sassy. God is constant today. And that doesn't mean he doesn't have his trials and struggles and his life context and everything that's going on. But you know what? As he greets me, he always reminds me, Blake, Jesus is constant. Jesus is on the throne. He has always been on the throne. He is seated on the throne of heaven at the right hand of the Father right now. And we need that personal revelation today. This is why we gather. This is why we teach the word. It's to well up 
and stir up in each other to do what? To be idle and lazy and go live your own life and oh, I'm sorry about your context and how hard you had everything this week. You know, we, we need to be merciful and kind and tender to each other, but at the same time, sometimes we need to tell each other, you know what, knock it off. Get your eyes on Jesus. He tells us, child, I want you to see yourself through my eyes. This morning, you know, you need to hear your father from heaven speak a eulogy over you and declare his love for you and his blessing to you. You need to hear that. If you're hearing the voice of the enemy, if you're hearing the voice of your flesh, if you're hearing those condemnations, you may need to hear the warning. You are mine. You are a steward. I have given you things to do and to be responsible for. And you're squandering it. You're being idle. And you know that you are. You need to hear the warning. You need to hear the call back to him. Not the call of condemnation, the call of love. That the call of the prodigal, right? Where the father is there waiting. And as he sees you return, he runs to you. He comes to you. He meets you. He will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will speak to you. He will lead you. Glorious day today and glorious day when he comes. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, again, we just, we want to... I want to be fully owned by you, Lord. You declare to me that I have been bought with a price. And that price was yourself. You sent your son to die my death for me so that I don't have to. You sent your son to give me freedom, to give me life. You sent your son so that I would be bound to you and one with you. You dwell within each of us, Lord, and speak to us so that we won't drift, so that we won't fade, but so that we will endure day after day until that glorious day that you return. Lord, I confess to you I want to be found faithful. I want to be found worthy of your trust. And I know that it's not, it's not me, but I'm looking for you to continually transform me. Lord, I see and I read all the promises about the new heart. I want that new heart, and I know that you've given to me that new heart. I see the old man there. I see the old ways. I see the ruts. I know my struggle. I know my battle, Lord. I look to you to cause me to be new every day. I look to you, Lord, to cause me to be faithful with what you've given to me. And Lord, not to be burdened with weight, but to be yoked to you and in a relationship with you, to find my rest in you, to find my peace in you, to find my hope in you. Lord, and not just a moment like we're in right now, but this afternoon. Tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon when I'm tired, Lord, I want to take a nap. I'm grumpy. I'm hungry. I want to be found faithful. 
Tomorrow night when I put my head on the pillow, Lord, I want to praise you for who you are. Lord, I want those open doors. I want my stewardship to be fruitful to your glory. You add to your church, Lord. But use each one of us to to encourage, preach the gospel. To tell people who've never even heard the name of Jesus. About the one who created them and loves them desires to gather them into your presence for all eternity. Lord, when we need to give the warning, give us the right words to speak in humility and truth and power. We're here to remember you. We're here to see you. We're here to give our lives to you. We're here to be washed and cleansed. We're here to be revived. We're here to be instructed. We're here to fellowship with you and with one another. And Lord, as we love each other, it was said this morning to me, and I love this, Lord, as we love each other, may we still make sure that we love you first. Because if we love each other apart from you, that love is nothing. So we'll love one another in you and through you and for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.